Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 222. We're going to be interviewing Haley. How are you doing today, Haley? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to do this. You excited? I'm very excited. <laughs> First All one. Right. All right, great. So like I was telling you before, let's start with your childhood. Tell me about growing up. Honestly, like childhood was great, busy. I feel like it was probably fairly normal like not that exciting although like I did played sports growing up all the regular stuff went to school I will say childhood growing up I saw the impact of alcohol heavily around me I'm from a small town a small county where underage drinking was all the rage and my mom had alcohol use disorder alcoholism I I know everyone has different words for the way that they identify so I saw a lot of the red flags growing up and I mean, I still made what my kind of things. Do you remember? Oh my gosh. I, well, it, it's actually crazy to think about like my mother passed away four years ago and from when she passed to where I am now and how I saw things while she was alive. And then directly after passing now, four years later, really like looking back and taking myself out of it. I mean, I remember, I remember seeing drinking constantly and, and it's very normalized. And I understand that, you know, like parents at a hockey party and we played sports. So lots of that kind of thing. But I remember in public school being curious about it. And I remember seeing an AA number actually written in my kitchen on a notepad. So I knew, I knew something wasn't right, but I didn't know exactly what. And then I remember asking my mom for something out of her purse. And I remember reaching into her purse because, and she didn't give me permission and my fingers being wet. And I was like, what is going on? And it was a glass of wine. And then I would find it hidden in the house and different things like that, where I was like, okay, this part isn't normal. And then I, I remember I forgot certain things. And then I remember in public school being really upset one night and she was like, why are you upset? Are you on your period? And I was like, no, <laughs> like, I was like, what? But I was like, I'm upset because I, I knew it wasn't normal. And I said, you know, I'd, I'm afraid to have friends over because I don't know how you're going to be. And that sucks. And I don't, you know, it's, it wasn't necessarily embarrassment. It was a lack of understanding at the time, which I guess realistically at that age was, I, I did feel embarrassed because I was so young. And yeah, you don't, you don't know any better. It's just mom acts weird and it's not cool. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and you don't know how it's going to be. So you don't want people to be around that. And you don't know how to explain it at that time. Right. It's just, this is what it is. And I had zero comprehension uh, and I, I mean, I, I can't talk to her anymore about it, but I didn't understand it. And then I didn't understand the struggle until I had my own. So it just kind of came full circle in a really weird, weird way. But yeah, I remember being very, very confused by all of it. How did you know that? Just that stupid question. How did you know that number was for AA? Was it like written on the note? 
It, it said Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay, so I you didn't just say AA because I at that point in time I don't really think I would have known what. That's that why was. my next question was, how did you know what that was? So I guess it said alcoholics, like you said. Yeah, and then and it was just like an intuition. Like I knew that she knew something was wrong, and I knew like, and I mean I was a very I mean I'm a very sensitive person, and I was a sensitive kid. She quit smoking, and I think I was I don't even know maybe ten. And I remember I actually found when we were moving a certificate that I made her about how proud I was that she was making a healthy huh. choice for herself. Yeah. And like it, I drew a cigarette with a like X sign on it and saying like, I'm so proud of you for making this decision. So the Alcoholics Anonymous number, I remember seeing it and being like, getting that hope, you know, like she's aware that something's wrong or going on, but I had no idea the complexity. I had absolutely zero understanding of being from a small town, how much shame that she was carrying, how scary that all was, how it's not as simple as, you know, there's a problem, you need help. It, it's not like that. Right. So yeah, yeah it, it was interesting. Cause I'm like, Oh yeah. You know, you get excited or, but yeah, at that point in time, I didn't have the capacity of understanding that I guess I have now. How'd you do in school? You get good grades. Yeah. I mean, not math. Not, I wasn't good at math. I, I was hated math. math. Oh, <laughs> I hated it. I wasn't like, I got like left behind in math one time. I remember because like the next year I had to take a course over. Yeah. I just didn't yeah. pay attention. I had no interest. No, I had no interest and I, I wasn't good at it. And I didn't, I probably could have applied myself, but I just was not interested. And my teacher had no response to this. I said to her, I go, when am I ever going to use this in my adult life unless I'm a math teacher or unless I'm doing something like engineering? I'm like, I have yeah. no intention of doing that. Yeah. I go, and she had nothing to say. I was going to say, that's what I need to tell you. <laughs> yeah, they don't, you, you don't really use it. I mean, you use basic math, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. No, like otherwise. Algebra and ge yeah. uh, geometry. Way too complicated for me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Otherwise school, like otherwise school was good. And I was active in sports. I was part of lots of different teams. Like that part of school was all good. Yeah. So you had a good childhood. That's good. Unfortunately, yeah. it's very rare for me to hear that. I mean, you hear the, I heard you on the certain thing as far as not having friends over. That must've been hard. Not because you probably felt helpless. Maybe was that a, a good word? Helpless was a good word. And, and especially because I was sensitive, like I wanted to be able to help. And I would have those conversations with my mom and say like, what can I do to help? And what can I do to support you? And yeah, it was just a lack of understanding for sure. But there were so many aspects of my childhood that were great. My, and my dad was super supportive and she was still a loving, amazing mom. It was, it wasn't like I was neglected or different things. It was just that disconnect. And sadness for seeing someone struggle or seeing someone at that point I didn't understand it was a struggle but it it still just made me sad I always I've always had compassion ever since I was a kid so yeah that's good it's good to have compassion. yeah that's actually the password to our zoom meeting I so you punch in the zoom meeting ID and the password's yeah. compassion for our nightly meetings well not nightly yeah. we do it three times a week oh but, awesome. um yeah back to you so you graduated high school Yep. Cool. You go to college? I did go to college. I th I went for fashion business and then business management because I thought at the time I was going to open a clothing store. So I went down to school in Toronto, which was really fun. And I was always a really outgoing, confident, like I, and I went and tried out for the varsity soccer team. And I was always afraid 
to fail, but always willing to go and willing to try things, which was great that I don't know. It all changed at some point in my like later twenties where I wasn't that fearless, confident version of myself, but yeah, I went, I loved, I loved school. I, again, I did well there. Nothing, nothing bad to report with school. <laughs> That's a good thing. That's a good yeah. thing to say. Like I said, not yeah. many of us could say that, unfortunately, but um, yeah. so how much of an effect do you think seeing your mom like that had it? And how much of an effect did that have on you later in life? Do you think, do you think it made it easier for you to use drugs? Like, well, my mom did it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure if that was the mentality. Yeah. Well, it's <clears throat> interesting, right? So I, I realized looking back now that I'm like, I don't think I was ever in control. I think I thought I had control. And I, my justification or loophole was that my mom drank white wine and that was her, that was it, right? Like white wine. And I was like, well, I don't drink white wine, so I'll be fine. It's, mm -hmm. it's that in my head was my justification and my loophole. It was, and it was, she would drink wine every night. Whereas in college I would binge drink on weekends, but I wasn't drinking wine every night. So in my head, that was, it, 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 it was my way of thinking that it won't happen to me kind of thing. I don't, it was a way to justify and kind of not see it for what it was for sure. Yeah, I mean, we all have our little things that make us feel better about what we're doing. Yes, yes. Like my my whole thing was, as long as you never use a needle or smoke crystal meth, anything you do is okay. It's okay. Yeah. It, it, you, you're not a drug addict. You don't do those like specific drugs. Yeah. I can snort the living shit out of cocaine, but that doesn't make me a drug addict. Everybody does no. cocaine. That's the thing. Everyone's doing it. Like yeah, Exactly. It's That is crazy. When I did stop drinking, that was what I had to literally tell myself was it doesn't matter what other people are doing because that's yes. not the comparison isn't justifying your behavior. It's not going to help you. And it obviously got me down a path thinking if everyone else is doing it, it's fine. And that <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. no, I was lucky in the, I was unlucky. The fact that I was such a lonely drunk, but it was good. Cause I didn't have to get away from anybody when I came out of rehab. Some people have yeah. something like, friends they can't hang out with anymore because their friends are still yeah. partying i unfortunately didn't have that i drank alone i had friends but i never drank with them a lot of my friends are all far away also like i met them a lot of my friends i met while working with them in like new york city and then they're all over the world now but um yeah i drank all by myself so i didn't have to run away from anybody okay yeah was mine was like in college, it was the normal thing and my roommates and you would drink. And then it was like the anxiety. Like I would wake up and be like, oh, I, I think I was okay. Like, but I don't know. And then, and, and it would be those comments, right? Like, oh, how are you feeling today? So I would know, I'd be like, oh shoot, I must've looked pretty drunk. But at that point in time, I hadn't touched cocaine. So I wasn't, when, when cocaine came into the mix, that was when it was like the, I was going to say the perfect combination, but I, but when I say perfect combination, I mean the absolute worst combination, because if you go like for me, I went from being binge drinker blackout to suddenly I can make it through the night. I'm not the messy girl. So this is great. This is now I have a high tolerance and it almost allows you to continue on thinking that it's somehow fixed a problem without seeing that it's creating a monster problem. <laughs> And yeah. then that's growing. Yeah. Cocaine is a killer. 
Oh my gosh. It's it. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even have a response to that because I'm like it. Yeah. And it, it was like a catalyst for me to just ignore all the warning signs with alcohol and not see that that addiction was spiraling hand in hand with cocaine and using those kind of things as escape or a coping mechanism and it becoming your identity essentially. Yes, and then very much. Yeah. And then trying to figure out, okay, when you remove those things, what, what, what is left or what is there? Because for so long that becomes your identity of the party person or the, you like you're, you're numbing, you're escaping everything. And then all of a sudden you're confronting everything all at once. And did you ever mix cocaine and alcohol? I did a lot. Me too. They tell, they say it's so dangerous. And I, I find so many, that was the thing when me and my friends, we'd go out, we'd go to the clubs in New York city and we'd be in the bathroom breaking out cocaine, snorting it, going out to the bar, taking shots. And then when the booze kind of brought you down, you went and did more coke. Yeah. Which, and I've talked to people who are like, I, I don't understand cocaine. Cause they're like, isn't the point of drinking alcohol to get drunk and then cocaine sobers you up. And I'm like, I looking it's back hard now, to explain. I, right. It, it really is. I wound up having, I, oh gosh, it's almost weird to think back on because it is literally like two versions of who I am now and who I was. I would, we would party all weekend long wouldn't sleep for three nights. I ended up on five separate occasions having seizures from cocaine. Wow. From, yeah. So to me, it's like to choose to do it again after that and not, I obviously I didn't remember having that, but the the pull and the power of addiction is so overwhelming to think that that could happen. And then you go out the next weekend and choose to pick up that same thing that almost just killed you. Wow. So the seizures, were they from overdoses? I, I think so. I like, I, I think the ambulance was called once and I was, I panicked and refused to go because I, I had just come to and realized what happened or I was told what happened, but I think, yeah, it was essentially overdose or my, yeah, my body just not being able to take any more. Yeah. Yeah. I had always heard, right. Or, or people would like, I would hear about people overdosing on different things. And that I, I literally remember saying you don't overdose on, on cocaine. So it's fine. No, I've never heard of anyone overdosing on cocaine. And now I've spoke to multiple people who have seen someone have a seizure or experienced it. And I'm like, I had, I had no idea. There's gotta be someone that's had a heart attack or something. Cause that really, I'm assuming like in the whole history of cocaine, someone <laughs> probably died from it. I think so. Yes, I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, scary. So once you graduated college, what'd you do after that? After college, I was a sales rep for a clothing line for a little while down in the city. And then I was a bartender down in the city. And that for sure was, I mean, not the, not, a good lifestyle for me. I loved it because I was super social and I was outgoing and I, I met amazing, great people. But again, like I'm able to look back now and see that like having multiple drinks after work and in my head, consciously, I would honestly think I didn't appear intoxicated. 
And sometimes we'll be like, oh, have you been drinking? Like, no. And I would, in my head, I genuinely was like, how could they tell? And I didn't even, I, <laughs> I thought it was crazy. And now oh, I- Oh yeah, I, I know the feeling. It's so bad. But it was very normal, you know, get off work, have a couple of drinks, drive home. Just all of these behaviors that are so normalized that are so friggin' high risk and scary that I'm like, I- I am honestly pretty surprised I'm still alive based on those decisions. And it it's not like bartending was, it's not like other people encouraged or enabled me. It was all part of the lifestyle. It was all part of the social. That's what everyone did. So I thought it was normal. And then I had always been warned, you know, Haley, it runs in your family. You have to be careful. You have to be careful. But I thought it was, I thought it was normal at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened once you left college? How did how was your alcohol and cocaine use? And those were uh, the only two things you were using? Yes. Yeah. That was that was it. I mean, I've I've smoked weed, but I it ended up actually making me really anxious. So I don't that one I released. Um yeah, after bartending in Toronto, I got into an unhealthy relationship or I would say codependent, where every weekend you're doing cocaine. And actually, sorry, I didn't mean to lie. I did MDMA. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I went to festivals. I'm like, what am I talking about? I, And again, it was one of those things where I was like, oh, I have a high tolerance. The amount of things that I put in my body with zero, like without thinking about it, it's just, oh, I got this from a friend and thinking that was normal and not being afraid of any of it is just crazy to me to think of now. But it ended up after I moved out of Toronto to move in with an ex-boyfriend, that was when cocaine was constant every weekend, not sleeping for two nights all the time, drinking every weekend. And at that point in time, I was, it was only drinking on the weekends. It wasn't through the week, but as that relationship went downhill and my mom's health was failing, I had zero recognition of the fact that I started to use cocaine and alcohol on a constant basis to check out. At the time, I thought it was normal. And I was like, and I would, I would invite people that I knew would drink. That's who I wanted to hang out with because they wouldn't question my decisions. Like yeah. I definitely surrounded myself with the people who would not question the habit, I guess. Yeah. You know, who were the right friends at the, that particular time? Well, who yeah. you thought were the right friends at that particular time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I'm like, I, I know that the people who would have not encouraged those behaviors, those are the friends, you know, maybe that you should have around, but that's who I 100% isolated from because I I kept, yeah, I kept the company that I that would enable what I was doing. I think that's another reason I isolated so much because I just didn't want to deal with anyone. I didn't yeah. want anyone telling me to stop. Yeah. And, and, and there's almost that underlying shame, right? You, you know, that they may see what you're doing and be concerned or want to help realistically, like the, your good friends and your support system are going to, are going to worry. So I don't want to surround myself with people who are going to question what I'm doing. I'm going to surround myself with people who are going to be like, woo, let's do more. Yeah. So at what point do you realize that you have an issue? Oh my gosh. Honestly, I think that is one of the hard things to even like pinpoint because 
I knew, I knew I had an issue before anything even happened, but I would still go back to it. Like the seizures. I know at that point in time, if you're still willing to do this, there's a problem. I get pulled over for drinking and driving. I roll a vehicle. I had three brain bleeds and a grade three concussion. Oh my God. Yeah. And still after I don't, and a lot of that area is like a blackout for me with my memory because of the injury. I'm aware that there's a problem, but I do not believe I can change. And then after the brain injury, I have no idea how long it was between the time of recovery and drinking. It became a completely different beast. I, it was almost as though the injury took me from like alcohol use disorder and being on the spectrum, like knowing that there is very clearly a problem to end of the spectrum. I, I can't even open my eyes without, if I have alcohol in my system, I was craving it. It was what I thought about it. it, Have you read the unexpected joy of being sober at all? No. Okay. So I just read it and she, the way that she describes her physical cravings and being like, oh, my friends would be in the other room. And I would be looking around the room, looking at the liquor bottles and seeing how much I could sneak or wanting to go to the bar and getting irritated if I couldn't. That was like the type of craving. It almost felt like an out-of-body experience. And that's all my brain wanted. So I knew that there was a problem and I even had support. Like my dad was so supportive, didn't know how to help me and said like, I don't know what it's going to take. And I said, I have no idea. And I'm like, do you honestly think I want to be like waking up thinking about alcohol? And he said, well, I don't know. And then days later he said to me, you know, that was a huge moment for me. And he said, because I did think you wanted to, like I, he said, I thought, you were choosing this and you just didn't care. Whereas I was saying like, I feel completely out of control of my choices, even though like, I know better, I'm smart. I know these things, but I honestly, like it was just spiraling out of control and feeling completely driven by one thing, which is terrifying. Yeah. People don't realize how scary addiction is. Yeah. Yeah. And like to even to hop back and reflect on it, I'm like, it's, it's insane because I went from a place of literally like not being able to be in a house with alcohol to now you couldn't pay me to drink. Like I, I know how amazing life is on the other side, but to recognize the problem, be aware and accept it and accept like, Hey, you can't drink. It's not good for you. I'm now in a place where it's not, I can't drink. It's, I don't have to, I don't need to. It's great. But at first, that is all terrifying. And you feel full of shame that you spiraled that far out of control and you felt that helpless to a substance. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's almost hard to describe. Yeah. At your worst, how much were you using? I honestly wish I could tell you that. I mean, I barely even remember the uh, amounts of cocaine. I don't even know how you actually measure it anymore. Like it's been long um but like every day so that was terrible I was probably 30 pounds lighter like I was people would always comment on my weight and at the time little addicted Haley was like oh thanks it's not (laughs) skinny, is it you know what I mean like it was an ego thing like I was like oh 
as opposed to hearing that people were saying it out of a place of concern. It was not like, oh, you look great. It was trying to gently point out. You look sick. 100%. 100%. And then alcohol would, I mean, at least I'd probably a 40 a day, a 26er at least, I would say. Constantly. 26 um, pack? Pardon? A 26 pack? No, like a 26er, like of liquor. So I don't What's know. Oh, good. I guess it's uh, a kid. It's like 26 ounces. Okay. Like a full bottle of. Gotcha. Yeah. Or like bottles of wine, two bottles of wine at least. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When people ask, I'm like, I honestly didn't measure because I wasn't buying it a lot. I was sneaking around, which I would just take what I could get, but a lot. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The only reason I kind of remember is because I used to buy shop bottles to make it easy. Just do a shot, have a cigarette, do a shot, have a cigarette. Right. It was, I remember like one time I was dating this girl and she just broke up with me. I was like, well, what's going on? She goes, all you do is sit there and drink and smoke cigarettes. Yeah. She was like, who wants to be with a guy like that? And I, I, It was like an eye opener, but I didn't care. I was like, yeah. wow. Okay. Moving I'll on. Find someone else to sit on the couch while I smoke cigarettes and drink. Yeah. Well, and it's almost like, it's not, it's almost normal. Because everyone else drinks like you it, at the time, you don't necessarily see that like, oh, this is a problematic amount or like yeah. they're, pointing, yeah, they're pointing this out because this actually isn't normal or good for me. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember admitting that I had a problem to my cousins, but saying, I'm just going to be like this anyway, the rest of my life. I'll just, I'm not hurting anybody. Yeah. Yep. I remember, I remember, I think it was after my brain injury, which I didn't realize, like I was suicidal at the time, like counted out the pills because I was like, I can't, I don't think I can quit. And I don't think I can feel like this every day. So I just got to a place where I was like, it's going to kill me. One of the two, it's going to kill me. And I was like, and that's, you know what, that's okay. Cause this is exhausting. And I was like, and I also don't want to put my family and friends through this anymore because them worrying makes me feel guilty. And then, hey, what do I do when I feel guilty? I try to escape it and I just keep going. So you're at your worst. Once you realize you have a problem, what do you do? What is like the first step you take to start working towards your recovery? The first step I took, I woke up and I called a detox center. I asked them if I could go that night. What made you do that? Was there something that happened? Waking up hungover, extremely guilty. There wasn't like a this, that, the other. It was days on end of drinking. And I woke up and I just knew something had to change. I, I, it's so hard to explain because I'm like, I don't know if it was a spiritual awakening. It, there was something in the core of me that knew. And what I needed was to separate myself from alcohol. I needed to not have it be accessible, which is not friggin' easy <laughs> considering they sell it everywhere. Yep. So I was like, just get yourself somewhere where this isn't accessible and start there. That's great that you just randomly woke up. I mean, I honestly didn't even know what detox was. I remember my ex-girlfriend saying to me, you need to go to detox. And I was like, what is that? I yeah. had no clue what that was. Cause I, you don't, I mean, unless you're in the addiction in recovery community, you don't kind of know the terms. Totally. So I was like, what's the, and then I looked it up online. Um, yeah, 
I remember yeah. those good old days. And I, I, I couldn't, it was part, like you said before, I think it's part of our identity of who we were. A hundred percent. The, the only reason I actually knew about it, cause I, I would have been the exact, I would have had absolutely no idea was, um, someone that I had partied with back in the day who actually saw me have a seizure ended up going to, um, it was like, it was a guy's house beside the detox place. And I think he had mentioned it once upon a time. So it was like that seed was planted. I knew that it was there. I know it's free. And it was waking up and being like, why not go? But otherwise, oh, that's right. you're in Canada, so it's free. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, not all of them are like different rehabs and that they aren't all free. Right. I don't think, but this one was, and you can do like a free 21 day program. There's addictions counselors that are there. So yeah, it was all. I did an article on affordability of uh, oh. care. Yeah, I believe I did an article on it. Well, either way, I was researching it. And I think the average stay for someone in the States is $1,000 a day. Oh, my gosh. So That's just imagine insane. you want help unless you have insurance that covers yeah. it. Because not, not yeah. all insurances cover it. Um, or in, like I got lucky. I had state funding because what happened was I had a DUI when I was 27. So there yep. was some type of program that if you ever had a DUI, you got a chance at rehab or something. So I got oh, into okay. rehab for free. That's the only way I was going to be able to afford it. Which is like, how is that making it possible for people who want to change and would actively choose it? You're creating like a hurdle or a roadblock for them to even get there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it, you can't just choose recovery in the States. You have to find the right route. That's crazy. Yep. I can't. Yeah, I can't. That's hard to wrap the head around. It's like, so you have to go out and get a DUI to be able to. Yeah, exactly. I got lucky. My DUI paid for my stay. It's like, thank you. It's, it's the so only good thing that ever came out of it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Very weird. Yeah. Weird to think about. So how was your stay at the detox? Honestly, I loved it which was like so weird right it, I mean so I went it, it was I think the first morning well when I actually went they asked me if I'd ever had a seizure on the phone call and I said no because I was so embarrassed and ashamed of it and then when I went there they were like okay so just fill out these sheets and they asked if I'd ever had a seizure and I was like oh yeah and I was like because suddenly I was like I gotta tell the truth and I gotta face this I gotta face it all head on and again I don't know like where this switch came because I had been lying and sneaking around and covering my tail constantly. And I was like, no, you know what? If I'm going to make this stick, I've got to be honest about where I've been. So I told them and I had to go to the hospital to get medicine for, because I, they said that increased my chance of having a seizure coming off of alcohol. Um, honestly, within the first day, I belly laughed for the first time in years and I was like well this is weird because I'm so used to hiding behind a substance or thinking that I need a substance and it was I again it's so hard to explain but it was all of a sudden this realization that I didn't need alcohol I didn't need drugs like I was perfectly whole without them and just this entire shift and there was like recovery sayings all around on the walls and turn your mess mm -hmm. into your message and like the you know the like scale of 
what you think recovery looks like and then it being like a squiggle line of what it's actually going to look like it I don't know I just had this overwhelming like mindset shift and knowing that that's it was going to be a huge part of my story and that I wanted to help people find the same freedom even though it was a day and I know people you know you can get so excited about it right away but I felt in my core like this sense of calm which was weird because I was facing an insane amount of shame, so much regret, but so much hope because I was allowing myself the chance to see that it was possible and just making a totally different choice for myself, which was, yeah, crazy. Well, it's good that you came to recovery. So what's life like for you nowadays? Oh my gosh. Well, so I did, I did, what do I call it? Relapse research. I did a year like it was, it was surprising, right? No cravings, no triggers, because I came to this, like knowing my life is better without alcohol and you can be so fulfilled and happy without it. So then a year rolls around and, you know, I'm always careful to say like, don't say forever. But when I gave it up, I'm like, obviously it was a very bad relationship for me. And I was so happy in that year. So didn't think I would ever drink again, but a year rolls around and I believed I could drink because I wanted to, not because I needed to. And I I had a drink of a cider, which tasted like junk. And immediately I knew I was in trouble. Like immediately I looked over at a bottle of vodka and I was like, well, shoot. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was honestly crazy because I, I had a year of like strength and growth and personal development. And, and genuinely, I was so happy. So sure, try to drink again. And yeah, the switch went off. So for seven months, again, I face planted and couldn't make a switch. Lost a job with an amazing, like these amazing people who let me stay and were like, yep, nope, show up, be accountable. I said, I'll work. Like I'll, I'll be here. I'm not going to drink. And I said, I'm tired of apologizing and continuing to be destructive. And I said, the only way, the only apology is change behavior. And they allowed me that space and gave me that chance and waking up with that. It was almost like that same switch. I had overwhelming guilt of not being the person that I wanted to be and being tired of apologizing and knowing like I can show up as the person that I fell in love with during that year of sobriety. So life now looks, honestly, I am always in a state of gratitude (laughs) and it sounds cheesy, but I think it's like when you have been on both sides, right? It's that gratitude is the best attitude is the name of the game. And I talk to other people in recovery on a constant basis. And I, that's why I love having these conversations and trying to normalize it and destigmatize it. Yeah. Because going back to your, um, you relapsed. Oh, how does that feel? I, I don't know how I would feel if I relapsed. Honestly, horrible. I The hard part was because, I mean, people were supportive and but didn't know how to support me. And they had seen this version of me that was so free and so happy. And then to completely lose control again was shocking. And it was, I got so stuck in the cycle of shame and blame and 
I mean, I'm on, I'm on that end of the spectrum. Like my brain is going to want alcohol and I've, I've learned all about the science and what is happening in my head. And I've accepted all of that, but sitting there and saying to myself, Haley, you just made it a year sober. You can do this. What the hell's wrong with you? Didn't help me. So it was hard because I would sit there knowing I was capable of it, but then not being able to get to that day one and not being able to break the cycle and constantly apologizing. And I, well, I, I was anxious for seven months. It was, I felt like I was drowning, to be honest. It was a very suffocating feeling. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> it does. Okay. So it does. It was horrible. At the same time, I was grateful that I made that choice a year in and not five years later to then slide off again, you know, like, and it, you can look back and reframe things to make you feel better. And maybe that's my way of comforting myself, but maybe doing it then and getting it out of the way was to save me from doing it. Like I said, in five to 10 years, because, and it was also the like it was closure. There isn't a, I don't have any curiosity of moderation. I don't think, Hey, maybe I should try one at an event and see what happens. I know how my brain's going to respond to alcohol. I know that I can also feel completely fulfilled without it. I can still go out. I can still do things. And does my nightlife look different than it used to? Sure. But like our choices and our habits and our hobbies look different from 10 to 22. So if my life looks a little bit more peaceful <laughs> and quiet now, and I'm okay with all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Sobriety is a much better place to be. A hundred percent. It's just, I just feel calm at all points in time. And like days can still be tough. There's, there can still be things that stress you out. You know, like it doesn't mean life is perfect, but your ability to respond completely changes and not living in that cycle and shame is very, very freeing. That's I would great. choose this side. Yeah, I would choose this side all day, every day. <laughs> so is there anything in particular that you do nowadays to keep yourself sober? I, see, and that's a hard one for me. I, I don't, I've never followed like a program or you have to do this or a craving might roll in. I'm very much mindset focused. I volunteer in a lot of different recovery communities and I will do, I do Zoom calls for groups and I'll do different presentations. And I think maybe, maybe that is my version of what helps keep me, you know what I mean? Like it's. Oh yeah. I, no, I know. Yeah. <laughs> like, this stuff keeps me sober. Yeah. Yeah. Like talking and connecting and it, yep. it keeps it relevant, right? Like there isn't that fading effect bias that all of a sudden you're however many years in and you get curious again, or you think it might be a good idea. I think it, it keeps it current and hearing about the struggle and talking about the struggle kind of makes you not want to revisit it again. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. Yeah. So I do lots of different presentations. I, I'm fascinated by the science uh, and the neurological components. So I really just try to learn as much as I can, to be honest. Yeah, no, I believe that knowledge and education is absolutely vital if you're going to recover, because how else are you going to fix something if you don't know how it works? Yeah. Well, or at I least think, attempt to fix it, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's a huge gap. So, and I, I do coaching and stuff like that. And 
I think education, like you said, is key to understanding. I think it's so important for people to know what's happening in their brain and not that they're flawed or broken or that there's something wrong with you. Like alcohol, like cocaine, like heroin is an addictive substance. There's nothing wrong with you because you got addicted to an addictive substance. And that I think is like something that I'm like, shout it from the rooftops, put it everywhere. And at first I was really quiet in my sobriety. And I think I protected that out of fear of relapse and also out of fear of judgment. Whereas now I'm like, no, because there's so many people who still struggle in silence because nobody's talking about it. Whereas, yeah, yeah, like the more you get comfortable putting it out there, the more people might realize like, hey, there's the warning signs that I might've missed if I hadn't heard this podcast or saw that picture that someone posted. So just, yeah, having the conversation I think is my way, I guess. (laughs) No, that's great. I mean, staying in touch with the community is a huge thing. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, you go. No, you go first. No, I was going to say, and even in the beginning when I would hear other people's stories like that at the detox center, suddenly I was like, wait a minute. Other people understand what I'm feeling. I, I, I felt very alone and embarrassed and confused about it all. And, and in my head, I was like, you know, you had a great life growing up. You have a very supportive family. You shouldn't have these problems. So that shame cycle in your head is so damaging. And yeah, that, so that's again, why I like having these conversations. Yeah, no, absolutely. So last thing is, did you have anything else that you want to throw in or talk about while while we're here? No, like, I guess basically just know what we're talking about. And essentially for anyone who listens to your show or is part of this community, I think, like I said, when I woke up with the detox and just wanted to make a change, it's like those freaking 30 seconds where you feel like you want to make change or you're willing to have that phone call or you are willing to have that conversation leap into the discomfort and just I it's so scary having these conversations like I waited on years before I was willing to even share my story or talk to people and it's like I don't know I think leaning in like jumping into what scares you could be the thing that saves your life so as scary as it is, there's so much on the other side of fear. And yeah, that's about, that's about it. (laughs) That's about it. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I think you did great. How do you feel? I feel like I'm like, whoa, (laughs) I feel great. Honestly, like I said, I mean, oh, that I guess is actually one thing I will say. I went, um, it was probably three weeks ago. I went to the funeral of a family friend from when I was growing up and we had not grown apart. They just moved, you know, it was a childhood friend. She had struggled with her sobriety growing up and like within the past, I would say eight years and she got sober and then slipped off and was using what she thought was cocaine and there was fentanyl in it and overdosed. Yeah. So to me, it's like, it was honestly one of the most confronting experiences sitting at her funeral because a lot of what they spoke to and her energy and and she wanted to help people she was an addictions counselor and child and youth worker 
And I think it speaks to the importance of having the conversations, joining the communities, being active and being a part of destigmatizing it so that people aren't struggling in silence. And yeah, just it's scary like nowadays. And I mean, when I was doing drugs, would those things have scared me straight? I don't know, but it's like, it's important to put the message out there about how it is Russian roulette now and how you do only live once life is short. And it's so we create these beliefs that we need alcohol or we need drugs. And that's what's important within our identity. And that's not the truth. Those are just beliefs. And I think that's a really important thing to remember. Yeah. And with the fentanyl thing, people don't realize they always think it's not going to be me. hundred percent. Exact same way that I grew up and said, my mom drank white wine. I'm drinking liquor. It's not going to be me. It won't happen to me. Yeah. Haley, you got to be careful when you're drinking. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm in control of it. And it's like, it's progressive. You're in control until you're not. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you again for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> no, it's been a pleasure. So do me a favor and sit tight. Will and do. for everyone watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can check us out on all social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, TikTok, Tumblr, Instagram, pretty much you name it, we should be on it. I also suggest checking out our website, which is www.addicts-anonymous.com. There's plenty of free resources as well as free literature. Also, uh, we have a book coming out. It should be due out hopefully in mid to late February. It's called Addicts Anonymous, Our Stories. Um, I write a little bit about a number of topics as well as a collection of people's stories. So I'll keep you posted on that as far as the release date. That's all we have for today. I hope you enjoyed it. And until next time.